ninth of Teves, the Tanya begins in Perek Zayin, chapter 7, on page 116 in Lessons in Tanya. In the beginning of the Perek, the Altarebbe explains how those things that are Klipas Neiga are capable of going either way, either into holiness or into the lower Klipa, into the totally dark Klipa. And that's why Klipas Neiga is called the Mimutza, the middle point between holiness and total evil. And we mentioned that just as in the godly soul, the garments of the godly soul elevate the neshama to a level higher than the neshama could attain by itself through its garments, the same is true with the animal soul in reverse, that the animal soul degrades itself and is brought down by its garments when it does or thinks or says that which is not holy. Yet the Al-Tarebbe mentioned that when a person does or, or says or thinks something without any holy purpose, without, uh, without a L'Shem Shamayim, then the action, the speech or the thought is no better, it's no better than the soul itself. On page 112. That when a person eats, for example, without a kavana l'shem shamayim, loy adifi maise dibra machshavis elu menefesh achiyunis abahamis ba'atzma. So the lotion seems to be saying that the eating, the doing, the thinking, the speaking is not better or higher than the animal soul itself. The animal soul itself is klipas neiga, and these garments are also klipas neiga. So they're no better. Actually, they are lower, because by indulging and engaging in these thoughts, speech, and deed, he is degrading his animal soul, as we said, that the garments bring the animal soul down. So the, the reason that the al says, that they're not worse, not better, is because here the al is classifying the three levels, holiness, total klipa, and klipas neiga. These garments, even though they are worse than the soul itself, than the animal soul itself, but they remain in the same category. They're still in the category of klipas neiga. And that's why the al says that they're not better. They're not in a different category, they're in the same category. Only in that category they are lower. Now today's Shia, the al speaks about how the klipas neiga can become part of totally dark klipa. But the one who is a glutton, he eats meat and drinks wine. As a glutton, it's not so much a question of how much quantities of food and drink, but purpose and intention. If he's doing it simply to give in, to fulfill the demand and the appetite of his body and animal soul, and this appetite comes from the element of water of the four elements that are evil in the animal soul. As we said earlier in chapter 1, that appetite, desire, the pursuit of pleasure, 
comes from the element of water. From this element of water comes the appetite for pleasures. So if the person is giving in, indulging that appetite, that's called gluttony. He brings down, he degrades the wine and the meat that is within him that he had just consumed. And it temporarily becomes absorbed into the totally dark klipa. The gufei, that's what happens to the food. The body, the body of the person who is eating this food, the body becomes to this klipa a, a vehicle and a garment. Subservient. It becomes the receiver it becomes dependent on and receiving from this totally dark klipa because it is temporarily being nourished by the klipa. Lefishah, this is a temporary condition until until the person will do tshuva and, and once again begin to serve God. Why is it that by returning to doing mitzvahs and serving God, the food is elevated and brought back to holiness because it was permissible meat and permissible wine? They were both kosher. They were klipas noiga, in other words. That's why they can rise and return with him when he returns to the service of God. Shezel loshen heterumuta, and that is the meaning of the term that that is used to describe that which is permissible. The Hebrew word is heter, mutar. Klemer. The word means untied, like matir asudim. It is untied, not bound, not chained. It is not chained to unholiness and therefore can return to God. Whereas those things that are chained to unholiness, were, were these things chained to unholiness? Then they would not be able to return and rise and be brought back to godliness. So because they are essentially permissible, the only problem was that he was indulging in them. In other words, he was using them for an unholy purpose. Therefore, he degraded them. But this degradation is a temporary one. It is superimposed on the thing itself. The thing itself is not irretrievably unholy. And therefore, when the person goes back to doing mitzvahs, this food comes back with him and then becomes part of the mitzvah and part of the holiness. However, some linging traces of that unholiness, the, the totally dark klipa, which this food was brought down to and degraded to, for the moment, that food was totally dark klipa. So although, when the person then begins to do mitzvahs again and to serve God again, he elevates the kosher food back to holiness, but those moments when that kosher food had become degraded to the level of completely dark klipa, that leaves a trace of, of 
of klipa in the body. And that's because the body absorbs the, the, the food immediately upon ingestion. So that before he had a chance to return and elevate the food, the body was absorbing food that was at that moment in totally dark klipa. The alkane, sorry, chaguf and that's why the body has to go through the 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 suffering of the grave, the decomposition. as will be explained later in chapter eight. The same is true also with the sperm that is emitted. Out of, out of animal desire, a person who is having relations with his wife, when it is permissible and holy. But his intentions were not holy. His intentions were simply an indulging in the animal appetite. The same is true also that for the moment it is degraded and brought down into the totally dark klipa, and then when the person does a mitzvah, it is elevated and returned back to holiness. So this is all true because they are basically permissible acts. The food is permissible. The relationship is permissible. It's all kosher. And therefore, it can go either way. Therefore, also, if it did go one way, it went towards unholiness, it went towards a total dark klipa, it doesn't remain stuck there. It is not bound to the unholiness but can be elevated as soon as the person goes back to serving God. Masha'in came asudes, which is not the case in the, with, with those things that are forbidden. As, for example, prohi- prohibited foods, ubiyes asudes, or prohibited relationships. They come from the totally dark klipa, which is why they're prohibited. But being prohibited means that they are tied and bound permanently to unholiness, to evil. And they are not elevated from there until the day comes. When all unholiness will be swallowed up forever, as it says, the and the presence of evil I will remove from the earth. And that's a description of the time to come with Moshiach, when all unholiness will be removed from the world. Here, parenthetically, there's a question that is posed. If all unholiness will be removed from the world, then what will distinguish the Jew from the non-Jew and the kosher animal from the non-kosher animal? So the Rebbe explains that everything exists by the word of God and by the spark of godliness that is within it. Nothing is created out of klipa or out of unholiness. When Mashiach comes, then the, the external condition, which is the klipa, in which this spark is hidden or buried, that klipa will be removed and what will remain is the divine spark, and that will continue to give life to to the animal or to the non-Jew. 
And when it says in the Gemara that the pig is called Chazir in Hebrew, in Torah, it's because the word Chazir means to return. And that is that in, after Mashiach comes, the Chazir will be returned to us, it will be permissible to us, and it will no longer be safe. Which seems to imply that all other animals will remain safe. However, that's not really possible. Because Ruach Atuma Ave Min nothing will be unholy. So why would it be safe? So here also the Rebbe explains that there are two periods in, in the time to come. The Osid Love has two periods. There's the earlier stage in which there still will exist some unholiness in the world and then the Chazid is the exception only it will become permissible at that point but afterwards in the second era in the second part of the world to come when all unholiness will be removed from the, from the world then all animals will become permissible so that's one possibility of how that which is prohibited which is from the totally dark clipper can become holy and that is at the end of time when all unholiness will be removed and the divine spark that, is, that exists even in the totally unholy things will be freed from that klipa and be able to come back to, to holiness. Oy, another possibility is The other possibility is that if, a per, if the person does tshuva on such a high level, the, a great tshuva, the tshuva concerning which it says that your intentional sin becomes a mitzvah, becomes a suchus, then that unholiness itself becomes transformed into holiness. In other words, through tshuva, even that which is prohibited can be brought back to holiness. But it has to be an intense tshuva and not the ordinary tshuva of coming back to mitzvahs. What is this intense tshuva? Shehi tshuva mi'ava mi'unka doliba. This is a tshuva out of love and not out of fear with with a ahava v'chasheka with a love and a longing. The nefesh shekeka and a, a, a yearning heart l'davka be'yizbarech to want to cleave to God. And his soul thirsts for godliness like one who is in a parched and barren soil. How is it that this becomes a mitzvah? We understand that when a person does tshuva and he regrets his sins, that the sin is erased, undone. But that it should become a mitzvah, how does that happen? So the Alter Rebbe goes on to explain. Because he experiences the fact, he realizes, that until now his soul has been fablunged in a barren wilderness, in a place of death. He has which is the unholiness, and totally estranged from God, that's why his soul is unusually intensely thirsty, with a greater 
strength, a stronger thirst, mitzimoi nafshis hatzadikim, than the thirst of the soul of the tzaddik. Certainly the tzaddik also thirsts for godliness. And that's why every day the tzaddik gets closer to God. Mailem bakedesh. He is constantly growing from level to level. Yet, it doesn't compare to the thirst of the Baal Tshuva. Because the thirst of the Baal Tshuva comes from the recognition and from the experience of the distance from God, of the ungodly state in, in which he has been. And that arouses him to such an intense return that his thirst is greater than that of the tzaddik. Meaning to say that the tzaddik doesn't experience the same intensity of thirst because he hasn't sinned and the Balchuva does experience this intensified thirst because of the sin. So first of all, it is the sin that makes the thirst. It's not merely that he changes his mind, he loses interest in the unholiness and develops an interest in holiness. It's that his interest in holiness is intensified precisely because of the unholy. So the unholiness is what creates for him a desire for holiness. So it doesn't remain neutral. It's not merely canceled. It now is acting in the reverse until now, until he does tshuva, the ungodliness draws him towards further ungodliness. Aveda, Gedera, Aveda. Now when he does tshuva, the sins of the past do, don't, are not merely neutralized. They actually become a source of intensified thirst for God, which is what makes the Baal Tshuva's thirst greater than the thirst of the tzaddik. And therefore it is not merely neutralized, it actually becomes a virtue. And in the legal sense, it becomes a virtue, not only in that it does good things, it literally becomes like a mitzvah, because a hachana, that which is a preparation, a necessary preparation to the performance of a mitzvah, is considered legally in the Gemara also a mitzvah. And since this is a preparation for his mitzvah, this leads him and, and motivates him to do mitzvahs on the level of a Balchuvah, Therefore, it is in the category of a hachonata mitzvah and is itself a mitzvah. As the sages have said, in the place where a Baal Tshuva stands, a perfect tzaddik, a tzaddikomer, can't stand. Where is this Gemara? The Gemara says in Kedushin, concerning the laws of marriage, that if a woman says, that she agrees to marry a man on the condition that he is a tzaddik gomer, the, the vow, the marriage vow, is valid on the chance that he had, even though we know that he's been a Russia until now, but the, the marriage is valid, the kedushin is valid, on the chance that he had thought thoughts of tshuva and had become a bal tshuva. The question is, even if he has become a Balchuva and is no longer a Russia, on what grounds is the marriage a valid one? Perhaps the woman was willing to marry him if he was a Tzadik Gomer, but not if he was a Balchuva. So although a Balchuva is higher, and that's why 
the Gemara says that the marriage or the Kedushan is valid because within the Baal Tshuva there is also the level of Tzadik. But how do we know that she is willing to marry a Baal Tshuva? We know that if she agreed to marry him if he was poor and he turns out to be rich, the marriage is not valid because some people prefer being having a simple life. So how do we know that better is necessarily acceptable? So the Rebbe once explained that there are no skipping steps. The person who is a Russia, when he decides to, to do tshuva, he first becomes a tzaddik. Then he becomes a tzaddik gomer. And then he becomes a bal tshuva. And all of this happens instantaneously. So that there is no way of becoming a bal tshuva without first going through the stages of tzaddik and tzaddik gomer. And therefore, in that moment, when he was going through those stages, at that moment when he became a tzaddik gomer, that's when the marriage became valid, and it remains even if he becomes later a bal tshuva. And it is on this great intense tshuva, out of love, an unusual tshuva, that the Gemara says that the sin becomes a mitzvah. Since it is only through the unholiness, through the past sins, that he comes to this intense love, that's why the unholiness becomes a mitzvah. But if he's doing a regular tshuva, the regular tshuva doesn't come from the experience of unholiness. It comes over the fact of unholiness. But it's not an intensified love that would not have existed without the sin and therefore the sin has not changed roles and has not begun to produce holy instincts or holy feelings it is merely neutralized and the sin is erased and forgiven but it doesn't become a mitzvah but any tshuva that is not from this level from love although it is a full-fledged tshuva, and God forgives him, yet it doesn't become like a mitzvah. In other words, it hasn't become holy. And therefore those sins will not rise from klipa, those acts, and the energy in those acts will not rise from klipa completely until the time when all unholiness will be swallowed up forever. Today's Hayyem Yem for the ninth of Teves. The Rebbe writes concerning the custom of, Ale- of the saying of Aleinu. Nihigin ben Nusach Aleinu leimar. Our custom in the Nusach of Aleinu is to say, Shehem mishtachavim lehevel velorik, that they bow, the other nations bow to vanity and nothingness. And this is said also in Tvilas Musa of the Rosh Hashanah, when in the, in the, in the Shman Esri, on Rosh Hashanah, of Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, there is, the Aleinu is included in the Amida, in the, in the Shemana Esrei. We also say in that Aleinu the same, the same uh, verse. And we purposely do not say, and they pray, they bow and pray to nothingness and vanity. We leave out the word pray. Harikika, the spitting, after you say the words, 
vanity and nothingness, that's when we spit. The reason for the spitting is that Tam Harikika ki midibur mishave reik ve'en reitzem lehenes mereikzeh because from speech, speech stimulates the production of, of saliva. And we don't want to benefit from the saliva produced by the words describing idolatry.